Right, let us get underway, Prime Minister. Shall these for us? Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Charlie Thank you, Mr Speaker. During this pandemic, in my constituency of North West Cambridgeshire, I have seen a number of instances of ordinary citizens doing extraordinary work helping the elderly and the vulnerable. And that has been repeated across the country in every single constituency giving true meaning to the words community spirit. Would my right honourable friend take this opportunity not only to acknowledge this fantastic work that has been done by so many people, but also to give a huge thank you to each and every one of these, these unsung heroes of our country. Uh, I thoroughly concur with my uh, right honourable friend and I, uh, I congratulate the all the volunteers for the spirit and the achievements that they have delivered for the people of this country. And I was delighted that they had a, uh, we had a first chance uh, to honour them in the birthday honours list of the weekend, or just some of them. Let's come to the Leader of the Opposition, Right Honourable Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, on the 11th of May, the Prime Minister said that the government's Covid strategy, and I quote him, will be governed entirely by the science. On the 21st of September, the government's own scientific advisers, SAGE, gave very clear advice. They said a package of interventions, including a circuit breaker, will be needed to prevent an exponential rise in cases. Why did the Prime Minister reject that advice and abandon the science? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, uh, we will do whatever it takes to fight this virus and, and to defeat it. Uh, but since he quotes the sage advice, I might just remind him that on page one it says that all the interventions considered uh, have associated costs in terms of health and well-being, and that policymakers will need to consider analysis of economic impacts and the associated harms alongside this epidemiological assessment. And the advice that I have uh, today, Mr Speaker, is that if we do the regional approach that commended itself to the House and indeed to the Right Honourable Gentleman on Monday, uh, Mr Speaker, we can bring down the R and we can bring down the virus. So uh, will he stick to his position of Monday and support that approach? I don't think that approach goes far enough. And neither does Sage. And the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister, talks of the costs. Since he rejected Sage's advice on the 21st of September, I remind him, the R rate has gone up, the infection rate has quadrupled, hospital admissions have gone from 275 a day to 628 a day in England. Yesterday, 441 COVID patients were on ventilators, and the number of deaths recorded was tragically the highest since June the 10th. That's the cost of rejecting the advice. Sage has a clear view on why that's happening. What's the Prime Minister's view on why these numbers are all heading in the wrong direction? Oh, well, Mr Speaker, I, I set that out very clearly in the House on, uh, on Monday, and uh, the difference between uh, this stage of the, the pandemic and March and April, as 
uh, as uh, the House knows very well, is that the disease is appearing much more strongly in some parts of the country than in others. And uh, in Liverpool, for instance, alas, the figures are now running at 670 cases per 100,000 against 33 cases per 100,000 in Cornwall. 540 cases per 100,000 uh, in Newcastle, alas, against 32 in North Norfolk. And that is why the tiered approach, the three-tiered approach that we set out on Monday and that he then supported is the right way forward. And uh, we want to put in the most stringent measures necessary in the places where the virus is surging in order to get it down where it is surging, Mr Speaker. That is the, that is the logical thing to do. Uh, so will he get on to uh, his Labour friends in uh, those parts of the north of England where we want to work with them to put those very stringent measures in place in order to deliver the reductions that the whole country wants to see. Will he support those measures? Because he wouldn't support them last night, Mr Speaker. Yes, Starmer. Mr Speaker, I think the Prime Minister is behind the curve again. He probably hasn't noticed that this morning the council leaders in Greater Manchester that he's just quoted, including the Mayor and including the Conservative leader of Bolton Council, have said in a press statement that they support a circuit break above Tier 3 restrictions. Keep up, Prime Minister. The big problem, the big problem the Prime Minister has, and it's from the sage minutes that make it absolutely clear that his two main policies, track and trace and local restrictions, simply haven't worked. And we can't stand by it. In June, the Prime Minister told me that track and trace would play a vital part in ensuring that we do not have a second spike this winter. His words. Three months later, Sage have concluded that track and trace, their words, is only having a marginal impact on transmission. They go on to say, and this is the really worrying part, that this is likely to further decline in the future. Further decline. So let's not have the usual nonsense that anyone asking the Prime Minister a question about track and trace is somehow knocking the NHS... This is Sage's assessment, the government's own advisers. So after £12 billion, let's have a straight answer. Why does the Prime Minister think that his track and trace system has gone so wrong? Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, it is thanks to NHS Test and Trace uh, that is now testing more people than any other country in Europe that we know that we know where the disease is surging. And it's, we know uh, that it is regionally distributed rather than nationally distributed at the moment. And that gives us a chance now to do the right thing. He wants to close pubs, he wants to close bars, he wants to close businesses in areas across the country where the incidence is low. And he wants to, that's what he wants to do, and he wants to do it now, and yet he, and yet he voted to do nothing last night, nothing in the areas where the incidence is highest, Mr Speaker. Uh, he says one thing at, at five o'clock about calling for a national lockdown when it came to a vote in this House of Commons, Mr Speaker, to impose more stringent measures, he failed even to turn up. Starmer. Mr Speaker, I know that for someone who's been an opportunist all his life, this is difficult, this is difficult to understand. But having read and considered the sage advice, I have genuinely concluded that a circuit break is in the national interest. Genuinely concluded. Mr Speaker, it's the failure of the Prime Minister's strategy that means tougher measures are now unavoidable. That's sage's view. Sage has advised that a circuit breaker 
should act to reduce R below 1, should reset the incidence of disease to a lower level, and should set the epidemic back by approximately 28 days or more. All three are vital, and that's why Labour backs it. So can the Prime Minister tell us what is his alternative plan to get R below 1? R below 1. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the plan is the plan that the Right Honourable Gentleman uh, supported on Monday. Uh, and and, and the, the, the whole point, Mr Speaker, is to seize this moment now to avoid the misery of another national lockdown into which he wants to go uh, headlong by delivering a regional solution. And, uh, Mr Speaker, opportunism is, I'm afraid, the name of the game for the party uh, opposite, because uh, they, they, backed, they backed the rule of six, or he backed the rule of six, and then refused uh, to vote for it. Uh, at, at, I think at three o'clock, Mr Speaker, the Shadow Health spokesman said that a national lockdown would be disastrous. At five o'clock, he was calling for it, uh, Mr Speaker. Let's, let's, let's go back to the approach that he was supporting on, uh, on Monday. Let's try to avoid the misery of another national lockdown, which he would want to impose, as I say, in a, in a headlong way. And let's work together. Let's work together, as, as he was prepared to do on Monday, to keep kids in school, who he would now yank out, yank out of school in a peremptory uh, way, keep our economy going, and keep jobs uh, and livelihoods supported in this country, Mr Speaker, and let's take the commonsensical regional approach, and will he kindly uh, spell out to all his colleagues uh, across the whole of the country that that is the best way forward, as indeed he did on Monday. Mr Speaker, following the advice is now uh, apparently opportunistic. Presumably he'll say the same to the leader of Bolton Council, a Conservative leader, who this morning said he supports a circuit break. Mr Mr Speaker, I've just listened to what the Prime Minister said about his strategy to get R below 1, but I can't think of a single scientist who backs him. He will know that the Chief Medical Officer said on Monday that he, his words, Chief Medical Officer, not confident, nor is anyone confident, that the Tier 3 proposals for the highest rate would be enough. That's Tier 3. That's Tier 3, the highest tier. So why is the Prime Minister so confident that his approach will get the R rate below 1? So confident. Or is that no longer the Government plan? I'm afraid, Mr Speaker, he is misrepresenting the position. Doubtless, doubtless, doubtless inadvertently, what, what our advice is that if the regional measures are Tier 3 all, at all levels were implemented in full uh, with the support and the active uh, cooperation of local uh, leaders, as indeed we have seen from the, uh, the leader of Liverpool uh, City Region, and I, I pay tribute to him and I, I thank him for, for what he is doing, if we saw full and proper enforcement, uh, if uh, they were able to conduct proper local test and trace with the support of the £500 million that we're giving, then yes, those measures, those measures would deliver, Mr Speaker, the reduction in the R locally, regionally, that we need in order to avert what none of us want to see, what none of us want to see, except now the right honourable gentleman having performed this extraordinary U-turn, none of us want to see, and that is the disaster, the disaster, the words of the Shadow Health spokesman, of a national lockdown. We don't want to go there. We want the regional approach. He should cooperate with it. 
Mr Speaker, I've supported the government in all their measures so far. And I've, and, I've taken, and I've taken criticism of it. But I think this measure is wrong and a circuit breaker is in the national interest. I've read the advice of SAGE and the government has rejected it. Mr Speaker, this is my last question and I'm sure the Prime Minister, I'm sure the Prime Minister has his pre-prepared rant ready as usual. But we're at a tipping point. Time is running out. Maybe you can seize the moment and ask, answer a question. This morning, the Telegraph quotes senior government sources saying the chances of the Prime Minister backing a circuit break in the next two weeks are about 80%. Is that right? And if it is, why doesn't he do it now, save lives, fix testing and protect the NHS? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, this is a, a rather honourable gentleman who claims to be uh, supporting the government one day uh, and then performs a dramatic uh, U-turn the next. Uh, everybody, Mr Speaker, uh, he, he claims to support the rule of six one day, then uh, pulls his support the next. Uh, he wants tough measures and then refuses to, to vote for them. Everybody, Mr Speaker, can see what he's doing. Yeah. Labour have said it themselves. They see this, Mr Speaker, as a good crisis for the Labour Party and one uh, they wish to exploit. Uh, we see this as a national crisis that we are going to turn around. And the way we're going to do it, Mr Speaker, and the way we're going to do it, and I, I, I rule out nothing, of course, in, in combating the virus, but we are going to do it with the local, the regional approach that can drive down and will drive down the virus if it is properly implemented. And that is what I believe he should be supporting. He said he'd, be, he said he'd support it on Monday, Mr Speaker. This is our opportunity to keep things going, to keep our kids in school, to keep our businesses going. That, I think, is what the people of this country want to do. This is our opportunity to do that and to suppress the virus where it is surging. Uh, he refuses to accept that approach today. I hope that not for the first time, Mr Speaker, he will change his mind and think the better of his actions. Mr Speaker, one of the great unsung achievements of the Coalition Government was the recruitment of 4,200 extra health visitors. Now, as an experienced father himself, the PM knows how vital baby-to-baby -baby contact is, as well as support networks for new parents. Yet lockdown has made that difficult, and at a time when they are most needed, health visitor numbers have dwindled and they've been diverted from face-to-face -face contact. So will the Prime Minister urgently look at reversing the decline in health visitors and support the parent-infant premium proposal by the Parent-Infant Foundation to help lockdown babies catch up. Yes. Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I thank my right honourable friend, who is not only an experienced father himself, but also, of course, an experienced campaigner uh, on this issue. And uh, I am very uh, pleased that uh, health visiting teams have continued throughout this crisis to prioritise uh, vulnerable families, and that is what they are going to do throughout the winter and throughout the pandemic. Let's head to Scotland with the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Yesterday, the founder of Brewdog warned the end of the job retention scheme will lead to a tsunami of unemployment. Brewdog is just one of thousands of businesses across Scotland and the United Kingdom demanding that the Tory government U-turn on its reckless plans to scrap the furlough scheme. There are just two weeks left to save people's jobs and livelihoods. So, Prime Minister, in the next fortnight, you have two choices. Extend the full furlough scheme 
or inflict a tsunami of unemployment on our people this winter? What is the Prime Minister going to choose? Minister. Well, uh, I thank the right honourable gentleman, as he knows the uh, Chancellor has already unveiled the, the job support uh, system a scheme, which will go through till uh, next year. And uh, for those on, on, on low incomes, they will also have the additional benefit of universal credit, uh, which again is going through uh, in its uplifted form, a thousand extra per year uh, through uh, to next April, at least. Ian Blackford. My goodness, Mr Speaker, that answer really does just show that the Prime Minister doesn't get it. Universal credit, is that really what the Prime Minister is saying to those that could be saved? People don't want to hear of these boasting and the excuses that we get. They want action. And these half measures don't cover it. Thousands have already lost their jobs. The ONS has confirmed the highest rate of redundancies since 2009. We're heading towards a Tory winter of mass unemployment created by the Prime Minister and the Chancellor. We know what the Prime Minister's Tory colleagues are saying. The Prime Minister's next job could be on the back benches. He just doesn't know it yet. If the Prime Minister won't U-turn on his plans to scrap furlough, does he realise he will never, not ever, be forgiven for the damage he's just about to cause to people up and down Scotland? Prime Minister. Uh Mr. Speaker, as I, as, I, as I say, and I have said many times to the right honourable gentleman, this government is continuing to uh, support people across the whole of the UK. Uh, many billions of pounds in Barnet consequentials, at least five billion pounds in Barnet consequentials uh, for Scotland uh, alone. And, uh, but one thing I will, I will congratulate him on is the Scottish Nationalist Party's support for the tiered approach. Uh, which I think is still uh, their policy, uh, Mr Speaker, unlike uh, the party opposite. At least they're showing some, some vestige of, of consistency in their normal gelatinous behaviour. Let's head over to Hendon with Dr Matthew Offord. Dr Matthew Offord. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Monday, I met virtually with the Hendon Cladding Collective to discuss building safety. The EWS1 form was raised, as this was designed to support residential valuation and lending on buildings over 18 metres. However, the consolidated advice notes issued by the Department for Housing, Communities and Local Government extended the scope of this form to buildings below 18 metres. Will the Prime Minister provide specific interim advice around risk prioritisation of buildings below 18 metres? And will he also extend the Building Safety Fund to buildings of less than 18 metres? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I'll look at the second uh, point that uh, the Honourable Gentleman, my Honourable Friend, uh, raises. But uh, what, I, what I can uh, tell him is that we're obviously focusing first on uh, the buildings that are over 18 metres with unsafe cladding. But I understand that the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors is producing a risk matrix to support mortgage valuation under 18 metres and led by the National Fire Chiefs Council, a risk prioritisation tool for blocks of flats uh, will be uh, available shortly. Thank you, Mr Speaker. By the weekend, Northern Ireland will be in an effective lockdown. Under the Chancellor's new furlough scheme starting in November, a minimum wage full-time employee, a normal worker, would be entitled to £227 per week. I doubt this Prime Minister could survive on that. How in under God does he expect ordinary decent workers to survive on it? Well, Mr Speaker, I'm proud of what this government has done to raise the, uh, the, the national living wage, which uh, this 
government introduced. But what I can tell them is that the, uh, whatever happens, a combination of uh, the job support scheme and universal credit will mean that uh, nobody gets less than 93% of their, of their current income. Mr Speaker, my constituency of Unnesmorn has the best nuclear site in the UK. Will the Prime Minister confirm to me and the people of Unnesmorn that he is 100% behind Wilbur Noweth? Uh, yes, indeed, Mr Speaker, and I, see a, I, I congratulate her on her fantastic campaigning for a nuclear future uh, for uh, Unnesmorn, and she has no more fervent supporter in that objective than me. Question. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, the Community Secretary has a habit of hitting the headlines, not always for the right reason. At the weekend, we discovered uh, that his constituency had been awarded £25 million for a regeneration scheme, and that was approved by one of his own ministers. The Secretary of State returned the favour by approving funding for that minister's constituency. We have one department, two ministers, and tens of millions of pounds of, of taxpayers' money. Does the Prime Minister think that this approval process is appropriate? Or does he actually think that the public might be right in thinking this all looks a bit grubby? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, all this was independently approved. But if he has has some serious allegation uh, to make against my right honourable friend, then I suggest that he has the guts to make it. Greg Williams. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, British wool is a multifunctional, versatile product. But sadly, farmers across the UK and indeed Montgomeryshire feel frustrated that this highly sustainable natural product is not properly valued and utilised to its full potential at the moment. Can I ask the Prime Minister to help boost the export market or indeed our domestic demand for British wool as we build back better? For example, use the wool as a great insulator for the next generation of sustainable housing. Prime Minister. Uh, I I thank my honourable friend for what he does to campaign for wool and uh, as someone whose uh, family used to farm sheep, I I, I feel the pain of uh, of sheep farmers everywhere, wool farmers everywhere. The price is on the floor at the moment, uh, Mr Speaker. Uses such as uh, the one my honourable friend identifies, uh, I think, are indeed extremely interesting and should be pursued. And I urge everybody uh, in this country thinking of Christmas presents to buy British wool this winter. Neil Coyle. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Two weeks ago, the Prime Minister told me he would support charities to be able to open COVID-safe accommodation for homeless people this winter. But yesterday, the government announced a £3 million cut in the cold weather fund this year, despite higher COVID-related costs. Will the Prime Minister at least guarantee that all government funds can be used to cover anyone and everyone needing shelter? Prime Minister. Uh, Of of course, Mr Speaker, we will make sure that uh, uh, local authorities get the support that they they need, and uh, as he knows, we've already put an extra £3.7 billion into helping uh, local authorities, and I think a total of £28 billion into tackling the, the local consequences of COVID. And we will continue uh, to support people throughout the country. Let's head to the southwest with Suguri Street. Yeah. Suguri. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. May I strongly support the aspiration of the Prime Minister set out last week to deliver floating offshore wind capacity? Uh, of one gigawatt by 2030. Is my right honourable friend aware that there is a very substantial scheme being worked up in the Celtic Sea that would meet a third of this target, as well as creating many jobs in South Wales and Devon and Cornwall? Will he please use his best endeavours to ensure that the Crown estate looks favourably upon this project to help our country uh, deliver its important climate change commitments? 
Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Speaker, I'm aware of the incredible prospects in the, in the Celtic uh, Sea, uh, and uh, I'm confident the, that the Crown Estate, as the landlord of the, seab of the seabed, uh, will respond positively. Helen Hayes. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My constituent, Luke Thomas, has recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He urgently needs to move closer to his family for support. Luke has a shared ownership flat in a low-rise building with wooden cladding, but he can't sell it because mortgage lenders require an EWS1 certificate and Luke's building does not have one. Estimates suggest it could take 10 years to certify every building affected, but Luke and hundreds of thousands of people like him cannot wait that long. When will the Prime Minister end this scandal? Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I uh, direct the uh, Honourable Lady to what I said just a moment or two ago uh, to my Honourable Friend uh, about trying to provide back mortgage backing for those who find themselves in that, in that very difficult position. But we must get on and remove the, the cladding, the, the flammable cladding from buildings of all kinds. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Ashfield and Eastwood has been left behind, ignored and forgotten about after decades of Labour-run councils and Labour MPs. Last December, my friends, family and constituents voted for change. They want to see the glory days return to Ashfield and Eastwood, which was once the beating heart of Nottinghamshire through mining, textiles and engineering. Can my right honourable friend please reassure me that Ashfield and Eastwood will no longer be the forgotten constituency and that he will do all he can to make sure we get the investment we need to secure better jobs, better education, better training and a better future? Yes, uh, indeed, Mr Speaker, and I can uh, tell my, my honourable friend, who is a fantastic campaigner for Ashfield, uh, that they are, they, are, they are in line uh, for the town deal proposals as part of the £3.6 billion uh, town deals fund and the £250 million uh, growth deals announced uh, through to, to 2021. And I hope you'll take that good news back to Ashfield. Let's head up to Scotland with Alan Dorrance. Alan Dorrance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister has been asked this question before by my SNP colleagues and others, but they have never received a direct response. I will therefore ask the Prime Minister again, will he confirm that the temporary £20 universal credit uplift will be made permanent after April next year, and that those who are currently excluded from the uplift will be included? Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I know that I've, I've given that answer many times, and that's, that's because uh, the answer remains the same, which is that the, uh, the uplift will remain in place through to, uh, through to April next year. And as I said, when you combine the JSS uh, with, the, with, with, the, with UC, people get 93% of their income. I appreciate that times are tough, but the best thing we can do, Mr Speaker, is keep this economy moving if we possibly can, uh, keep our kids uh, in school and avert the, uh, the disaster, Labour's words, Mr Speaker, the disaster of another national lockdown. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join me in thanking the great businesses of Wolverhampton like Greg at GI Barbers and Baked in Technol for continuing to serve the community in difficult times. Would he also reconfirm his a, a commitment to invest and level up Wolverhampton? And when we've come through this stronger, can I invite him to come and see them businesses himself? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, well, I, I have happy memories, Mr Speaker, of, uh, of uh, sampling some of the fare in, in Wolverhampton with my, my honourable friend, and I can tell him uh, that the uh, the Black Country City deal has just seen an investment of, of 5.8 million, and uh, that the West Midlands Combined Authority was just 
awarded £66 million for project, uh, projects across the area, including uh, £15 million for the National Brownfield Institute that is due to be located in Wolverhampton. And, I, and Wolverhampton, Mr Speaker, was the birthplace of the first industrial revolution. It is now teeming, teeming with opportunity in the latest. Let's go to Northern Ireland with Gregory Campbell. Gregory Campbell. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware the Northern Ireland Executive have just announced new restrictions to bear down on the virus while still keeping schools open, with the exception of one extra week at Halloween and keeping most sectors of the economy going. But the, the sectors that are missing are hospitality, the associated supply chains and self-employed. What plans does he have to announce something to help these much-needed sectors that are in dire need and need assistance urgently. Prime Minister. Uh, I, I thank the uh, Honourable Gentleman, and I am in continuous contact, as he can imagine, uh, both uh, with, the, with the leader and the, and the deputy leader in, uh, in Northern Ireland. And uh, Northern Ireland, of course, will receive at least uh, £2.4 billion in, in additional funding as a result of Barnet uh, consequentials, but we will look at further measures uh, that we further imaginative and creative measures uh, to support jobs, to support livelihoods across the whole of the UK. Very bluntly. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. This Sunday marks the 11th, uh, the 11th day of the uh, Anti-Slavery Day for the United Kingdom, an opportunity for all of us to raise awareness of the heinous crime of modern slavery. Would my right honourable friend use this opportunity to reinforce the UK's global leadership on this issue? And can he confirm that the treating victims with dignity and respect will always be at the heart of everything this government does in response to this crime? Prime Minister. Uh, yes, I certainly can confirm what my right honourable says about treating victims with dignity and respect. And she's right to take pride in what this government has done in introducing the Modern Slavery Act. And uh, we're, uh, thanks to that act, we are identifying more victims, Mr. Speaker, of modern slavery than ever before. 10,000 potential victims of modern slavery identified in 2019. That is a 52% increase. It is this uh, government, this, this house, and this country that is leading the campaign against modern slavery. Wendy Champlin. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I entered Parliament this morning and I checked in using the contact tracing app. And when I return to Fife on the train tomorrow, I will need to manually switch to the Scottish app as it doesn't happen automatically. We're facing a second wave of infections across the UK, so test and trace is even more critical. So given the Prime Minister's support for a Four Nations approach, can I ask the Prime Minister what engagement has taken place on app interoperability? Because that's critical, particularly in border communities. Prime Minister. Well, I, I'm very grateful to the Honourable Lady for, for pointing uh, that out. I will, I will make sure that there is interoperability. I will do what I can to ensure there is interoperability across uh, all uh, four nations. Uh, there is a slightly different approach, as she knows, in, in Northern Ireland uh, already. But in the bulk of our approach, uh, we have so far taken uh, there is much more in common the, than, than sets us apart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I welcome the Government's commitment to establish free ports. And, uh, the Port of Immingham in my constituency is, by tonnage, the largest port in the country. Would the uh, Prime Minister agree that it would be somewhat remiss not to include Immingham in the free port programme? Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, I, I, 
I thank him for his campaigning for, uh, for, for Immingham. It's registered. Uh, but, Mr Speaker, the, my honourable friend should, should know that he is one of the most successful campaigners in this House already uh, this year because the new bridge that he asked for at Suggett's Lane Crossing the new bridge that he asked for is going to be completed between the summer and the autumn of next year, Mr Speaker, so he can carry that back in triumph to Suggett's Lane. We now end up to Scotland with Anne McLaughlin. Anne McLaughlin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My lovely 88-year-old constituent, Mary, feels foolish for falling for it. She's talking about being missold Greendale Products by Helms, a government-approved company in 2013. She's talking about being saddled with a 25-year loan, which she must live to 106 to pay off. At the speed with which the complaints are being dealt with by Bayes, I'll be 106 by the time we get any kind of resolution. Will the Prime Minister please commit to investigating why Mary, who's watching now, and hundreds of others are waiting years to be compensated for something that happened not because they were foolish, but because they were victims of mis-selling? Prime Minister. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid to say what the uh, Honourable Lady raises is incredibly important, and she's right to, to raise it. And we must accelerate the process by which these complaints are, are upheld and, and dealt with, and compensation is, is delivered, if only because uh, that is the only way to, to build public confidence in uh, all the retrofitting, all the insulation, all the improvements to our homes that we need to deliver across the whole of the country as part of our green industrial revolution. So she, uh, she, is, she is spot on, and I w I'll be writing to her about that case. Yeah. 